Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high stakes, speed bumps, and off ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell, and Corey Frank from Branch 49. Corey Frank continues his interview with me, Susan Finch, as we talk about perfecting your craft and the importance of a supportive and evaluative community in the journey. This leads to an insightful discussion that draws parallels between renowned comedians and training sales professionals. Corey uses the example of comedians like Jim Gaffigan, Chris Rock, and Jerry Seinfeld testing new material in Heartland Towns to underscore the significance of knowing your audience and how practicing your craft in smaller venues can sometimes offer more genuine feedback than large, more famous platforms. Listen in as Corey recounts the story of hot dog eating champion Kobayashi drawing lessons on questioning the conventional and pushing the boundaries of what's possible. We emphasize the power of not just aiming for more, but seeking ways to make the process more efficient. Join us if you're keen on exploring the intricacies of the sales profession, the art of feedback, and the significance of pushing boundaries. In this episode, Making Seinfeld Laugh, The Sales Professional's Aim. When you were saying about dressing, my mom taught me when I was a child. I mean, she did not leave the house without makeup and dressed to the nines, but that was a different era. But that's how I was raised. I do not go to my kitchen table without teeth brush, makeup on, dressed, ready to go. And I had one bad experience where I was seen on CNN in a bucket hat in the rain. And I will never do that again and leave my house without being presentable. It was a parade, but still, sure. ready. <laughs> it did not look good. Yeah, but it's also out of respect. When your team shows up that way, they are respecting each other. And they are saying, our business that I have an effect on that affects your bottom line, Joe, Bob, Gina, I'm going to show you that respect that I am here for you too. And I will show up because we are all in it. And I want your clients to know that I respect you. And they can see that even if I'm just walking around the background on a call, they can see that everybody has that same mindset of respect for each other, respect for the brand, respect for the client. And it puts us, I don't know if you remember, when I was in school and we had school dances and stuff, we love the formal themes best. I was in leadership because everybody behaved better than when they dressed up yeah. as babies or animals or whatever it was, some crazy hair day for spirit week. But when they mm-hmm. dressed formally, they all behaved better. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that. I guess I didn't see the correlation back then, but yeah, we had dress up day versus dress down day or Hawaiian shirt day, right? Right. It's, that is interesting. Yeah, I like that analogy a lot. I think it's probably a little outdated in our sales world today. A lot of the clients that we have, when we show up on the call, immediately they apologize for not dressing apart, not putting a tie on, putting a jacket on, et cetera, which is interesting. And we use that as indicative of, okay, folks want to rise to a higher level. And we encourage folks to turn on their camera when we're talking and says, hey, unless you believe that the camera somehow steals a portion of your soul, if you put it online, turn on your camera and let's have a conversation. The screenplays that we present, which ties into a little bit what you're saying too, because it's all about authenticity. It's all about presenting yourself. 
And what Chris and I talk about all the time was the building the power of trust in seven seconds or 27 seconds. And the screenplays that we use, we try to incorporate a number of verbal disfluencies, ahs and ums. Think of the way Ellen DeGeneres talks this way. Bob Newhart certainly made a career of having the stammer. And we believe that in a cold call, that it's not a TED Talk. It's not a Toastmasters event. This is a serendipitously created Kramer-like engagement where I barged in. And I'm a stranger. I'm the invisible stranger. You may be fearful. And if I start becoming a silver-tongued devil and no ahs and ums and come off very strongly, in spite of what my product may be, you're not necessarily going to get the conversions. So part of our approach is that we look the part, but we're going to come in very softly, but also very confidently. And we want this to feel like this is the first and only call I made today, not the 152nd dial in conversation I've had today where folks will lose trust. The analogy we give, Susan, is the first time you see a superhero movie, maybe early on when you're a kid, you saw maybe, I could see the strings holding (laughs) Superman up. It was terrible CGI. But at that age, you didn't care because we had no CGI and it helped create the illusion that Superman could actually fly. Now you look at the Marvel movies today and the green screen and it's seamless. And then you see behind the scenes where these folks really have to act because there isn't this big universe and spaceships around them. They're just acting, pantomiming in front of a green or a blue screen. But you always had the kid that say, I know how they did that. Think of the magician. Oh, it's it's up your sleeve. Oh, wait, hang on a minute. It's It's in the hat. And when you're a sales professional, especially a newer sales professional, and you don't have the care and feeding of your voice and your intonation, and your inflections and your modulation, the prospect has a diminished illusion of what's happening as if they can see the strings. And so this whole illusion that you have comes tumbling down because people don't talk without ahs and ums and errs. When you're meeting somebody in a bar, you're meeting somebody serendipitously sit next to you in an airline seat at a restaurant waiting at a train stop. And so we try to embrace that as a philosophy. And so for a lot of folks, again, it's antithetical to how they assume is that you have to be crisp and polished, but you're, as, as both uh, have a religious tradition and one of my old priests said, never trust a man who doesn't walk around with a little bit of a limp, is that if you don't walk around with a little bit of a limp, no one's that polished. That's why the problem with the TikTok world, the Instagram world, right? So you're tough to trust those folks. And in a pitch, if you don't have some odds and ums and errs, you too are also going to stumble a little bit. So what are your thoughts on that? You pride yourself on being a particular communicator and a brand ambassador. So is that off base a little bit when I think of cold calling versus approaching someone like you, CEO of a successful company as a marketing thought leader, if I came off with more ahs and ums and errs throughout the presentation? It's an interesting thing because I'm also coming from an editor's perspective and where video and in-person is so different than straight audio. So straight audio, because the expressions are not there, and the process in your eyes when you're looking to the left or the right to search for the answer, to grab it, to create it. If you can't see that, will I edit out most of that? Yes, a lot of it for that reason, just to be respectful of the listener. 
in person, sure. I agree. I mean, I do those things because I am searching. I'm spontaneous. I'm not coming to you with a script. I'm letting the conversation flow. And that natural flow will include, for me, it'll include some pauses like that because I'm looking for it. But I was raised by a father who presented and he taught mm. us not to do the like you knows the avoid the ums when you can but like was the biggest thing lose the likes lose mm -hmm. you knows no i don't know i don't know why don't you yeah. tell me so i had some habits broken when i was quite young they slip in when i get tired or something but in a real conversation i get excited and so i and i start with my and thens mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Because I'm vibrating with excitement to be able to share an idea. And I'm trying to keep my mouth yeah. shut so I don't miss what you're saying. And so, yes, sure. I agree with the naturalness of that. I also, though, don't have a huge appreciation when I can tell that it is also put on. And maybe I'm just hypersensitive to things, but I can when tell. You see the, yep, when you see the lines, when you see Superman pulled yep. up by the cables. I see the cables. I see the rabbit up your sleeve. The whole illusion comes tumbling down. It does. So it's from both ends, though, from the ultra polished and from the let me make it seem ultra casual and spontaneous. Either one can betray you and can yeah. diminish trust. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's why we screenplay it in. We actually will have a screenplay where it will insert to say the ah and the um, the the you knows and make senses and those amateur hour kind of trial closes. You're absolutely right. Those are very hurtful to the overall illusion uh, that you're trying to build up. There's certain points that it's a straight road with no bumps. And there's certain parts of the screenplay that are 10 miles an hour because you're doing a hairpin turn. And that's where you need to lean on a lot of the uhs and erms and errs. And so we track this, certainly, the effectiveness on the conversation conversion rate, and and we see it. And we've had a couple of linguistics professors who've commented on some of the things I've posted on LinkedIn that are fascinated by the fact that you can use this in sales communication, the power of um, the power of the, the introvert. Chris and I had a couple of episodes on that where we talked about how introverts make the best sales folks. And one of the common traits of introverts is that I struggle sometimes putting together a sentence that is as streamlined as it should be. And a lot of introverts struggle with that. Mm -hmm. So if you screenplay that in, that it's okay to act, be like an introvert here, and then it's okay to be on a straight line where it's okay to go 60 miles an hour, that's what keeps the engagement levels high, especially on a cold call. And Chris is a big advocate, certainly, of tone on this as well, you know, tritonal resonance, tritonal close. So those are the things, the basic building blocks as we started off our conversation, Susan, where we can take somebody who's right off the boat, somebody who's new to sales, maybe an introvert, never thought they would be interested in sales, and start with the inside and then work your way out. What do you want to do? What's your personal legend? How should you act towards the world? It's the Jiro way of can you fall in love with your craft Yes. Can you truly say that there's honor and dignity? As Martin Luther King said, if you're destined to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper you can be. If you're destined to be in a BDR or sales or sales leadership or data management or rev ops, et cetera, then fall in love with what it is that you do. 
And I think that there's too many folks who are interested in the next thing versus trying to master the craft of what they're doing today. That's very Zen. That's very introspective. And again, that's probably not real popular as well. So we'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back. Well, I find the best salespeople. I talked to you earlier about when we kicked this episode off about the tools and things. And not one tool have you mentioned is something that you purchase. It's all things you learn to do. They're all craft building items that you physically have to put the work in to learn and work through it and practice and practice. And you cited Toastmasters and a big thing at Toastmasters is pace and varying your pace. And what you were talking about is precisely that because it can get dull when people have that same pace. I lose interest. Wake me up again. Get me back on Mm -hmm. track to hear what Mm -hmm. you're saying because you might have something really helpful for me. But I zoned out because you have that same tone, that same pace, and there's nothing jarring to make me, what's that? To spark my curiosity as the prospect. I think a lot of that, though, Susan, is that when folks are getting cold called, or even during Mm -hmm. a discovery pitch, they're trying to figure you out as well. Is just like when you walk into a room and maybe your spouse is watching a movie on Netflix and you're not quite sure you join maybe five, 10 minutes afterwards, you don't want to interrupt them. So you're trying to figure out, is this a comedy? Is this a romance? Is this an action movie? Is this a documentary? You're going through that. And a lot of folks who join cold calls or discovery calls, they're also saying, okay, this person who's pitching me, is this somebody I want to be close to? Is somebody I want to learn more about? Is this somebody who I see as an authority? Is this somebody who has more status? Can I predict what they're going to say? Is this somebody I can learn new vocabulary words for? All of that, I think, goes into that that soup to help with the status and the trust. And if you're not cognizant of that, if you're just going through your 48 slides without any performance art associated with it, without any Scorsese director's notes by, hey, at this point, break the fourth wall and look at the camera, the office, Michael Scott kind of stuff. Right. Uh, that's all effortlessly seen by us as the consumers of that content. But... Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant and all the people associated with a show like that, they were very meticulous about camera angles, directions for the actors, correct? Yes. And yet for a lot of us in sales, we don't do that. And we just say, here's what you should say. And then here's your list. And then I'll see at the end of the month when I'll decide to put you on a pip or not. And so you lose the fun aspect of the performance art when you don't help guide people that that's how they can master their craft is by realizing that whether you like it or not, you're being judged on that aspect of your performance. Yes, definitely. Oh, man. (laughs) And I think that helps keep newer folks engaged that you're performing for everybody else. 
the example we give is that if I don't know if you like comedians, uh, let's say you had Jim Gaffigan, let's say you had Chris Rock, and let's say you had Jerry Seinfeld, and you had the three of them go on tour and they're testing new material out. And they're going to Ottumwa, Iowa, and they're going to Dubuque, and they're going to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and they're going into Minnetonka, Minnesota. They're not going to New York because they're practicing the material. Right. And let's say Jim Gaffigan gets on stage first, and Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld are in the back at the bar, sitting, drinking a beer, watching their buddy go on stage in front of 28 people on a Tuesday night. And a question we, we give to the folks, to the sales team here when we're, when we're doing our training program is, who is Jim Gaffigan performing to, right? A lot of folks will say, well, he's performing to the 28 people in that audience on a Tuesday night. I said, no, because what do they know about comedy? Nothing. But if I can make Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld laugh from one of my bits or one of my riffs, now I got something. Now I got something that's a nugget, a gold nugget here that I'm going to use in my next HBO special or when I'm doing live at the Hollywood Bowl. And so I think as a sales professional, when we had mentioned before on air, how can folks work from home in this profession long term? I need to know in a mosh pit here, if I'm performing something, did it make my Jerry Seinfeld or my Chris Rock laugh in my audience here? The prospects, what do they know? I got thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Some of them don't think I'm funny. Some of them will never think I'm funny. They're in a comedy <laughs> show. They don't laugh. So I think if you're conscious of that, of who is your audience, it's not necessarily the prospect. Your audience are the other connoisseurs of your craft. And if they're at a high level, know their personal legend, have their goals, are well-read, take notes, try to diminish and diminish and diminish before they grow, are very candid, very honest with giving you the protector-like feedback that you're so good at, that's the alchemy right there that puts the soup on a high plateau. So again, that's countercultural, but that's how we run our shops here. It's countercultural, but it's also, though, human nature and ingrained in us as a species that we are better when we are answerable to a community. When there is somebody to not only support us, but to evaluate us, to lift us, to teach us, to usher us through, to show us an example, when we have to account for ourselves and our performance and everything else to our community. So for you, it's your mosh pit there. And they can all hear each other. And it's like, and maybe three of them go, dude, no, let's try and redo that one. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that. Or how'd you feel yeah. about that? But because that community, as we talked about with the protector thing, they all have the same goal, though, for you to succeed, for us to succeed as a group for the benefit of the clients that will trust us and do more with us yeah. because we have done better by them. Yeah, for sure. I think it's the old axiom is it's, it's by the work one knows the workman. Yes. And every aspect of the email with the right grammar, with the right tonality, with the right follow-up, with maybe even, again, the professional look. My laundry isn't in the background. My feet aren't up at the desk. My good posture, all that matters. I don't think any one thing will diminish the sale, but there's a series of these things that will certainly tear it down. And one of the stories, I think we told this on a recent podcast, Susan, is with the story of... Uh, a Kobayashi, 
hot dog, hot dog jacket, eater. right? And it's the, the autumn was a 20 plus years ago. And he lived as he, his girlfriend entered him into a competition. Right. They couldn't afford their rent, their electricity. And so she signed him up for a contest that paid $5,000 to the winner of this eating contest. And Kobe was five foot, 835 pounds soaking wet, but he had a good stomach and a good appetite and he won. And then afterwards, he focused on the July 4th, the Coney Island, Nathan's famous 4th of July hot dog eating contest. And for years and years and years, the most hot dogs that any one person could eat was like 25 and a cup, maybe a couple of bites. So 25 hot dogs in like 10 minutes. And that was, that was the rules is how many can you eat in 12 minutes? And Kobe entered the contest. And again, if the goal was 25, that was the leaderboard year after year after year, 24, 26, 24, 23. It's he entered and he ate 50. And how did he do that? Why was he so much better than everybody else? And when we look at what we do, what Connect and Sell does, what our folks do is why are we as modest as I can be here? It's like, why are we so much better than everybody else? It's never one big thing. He just observed that most of the eaters used a similar strategy, which was essentially a speeded up version of how the average person eats a hot dog at a backyard barbecue, right? You pick it up and you cram the dog and you, you, know, you put it in the mouth and you chew it from end to end and maybe a little bit of water or, or beer to, to wash it down. And so, but he said, there's gotta be a better way. Nowhere was it written, for instance, that the hot dog must be eaten end to end. What if you broke it in half or what if you did the bun? And, and so the, the, the point I'm, I'm getting at is that his competitors were asking the question, how do I eat more hot dogs? How do I get more meetings? How do I make more business? How do I get more X, more widgets, et cetera? Kobayashi asked a different question. He said, how do I make hot dogs easier to eat. And the second lesson, how do I make hot dogs easier to eat, has to do with the limits that we accept or the limits that we refuse to accept. And when he started training, right, he refused to acknowledge this legitimacy of the Coney Island standard 25 hot dogs. And just like the four-minute mile, just like what we were taught and other limitations of our professional. And so we had a gentleman last month who did 100 meetings and he's been with us for about four weeks. And that 100 meeting, that vaunted 100 meeting mark has only been done a handful of times by some of our most esteemed veterans who've worked with us for years and years. He looked at this very much like Kobayashi is, what did the best reps do? And how can I break it down again to get rid of these limits that we accept or refuse to accept of how do I make hot dogs easier? How do I get more demos easier to eat? But I don't think that he would have done that. He may disagree, but I think I think we know him. If he didn't go through the alchemist, if he didn't go through Jiro Dreams of Sushi, if he didn't go through his journaling training, his goal board training, wondering what I'm working for, why I'm doing this, right. and having a team around him of protectors that constantly nudged and guided him to the point where everybody celebrates the hundred that right. he hit last month, not just not just him. I think that ties a lot of what we were talking about here about taking somebody new, turning water into wine, and what are some of the processes that at least on our side of the ocean here that we advocate and what we've seen results in. I appreciate that you guys are in person. I love working from home. Don't get me wrong. I love my commute. That is 50 <laughs> steps out my door and rain or shine. It's a short commute either way. 
but I also see the importance. I watch people on my own team, I, you know, Hunter, who wants to come visit you guys. And I look at those folks that have just graduated and they've not had the benefit that you and I had, that Chris had of being in person with people yeah. and to have that available to people. You are training CEOs there. I mean, those, these are yeah. the leaders that will come because they will have so many experiences of real people to be able to pull from and apply mm -hmm. to whatever role they are in in a company, because there's nothing that sits with you more than being in person with people and remember, oh, I remember that conversation, I remember that. And those little sparks come back and they can't if you're not there with them. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm -hmm.